For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac. Hello, I'm Jay Michael Tatum, and you are listening to The Geek Show. <laughs> Hello there. Welcome to another episode of The Geek Show, and I'll stop talking like this, because it's hard to keep up. But anyway, yes, The Geek Show, we do science and technology news different from all other podcasts, uh, as you're soon to find out if this is your first episode, but instructions are in order. I am Rob, and also here is is Rob. Hello. hello. He said hello. He's well-trained. So uh, how are you? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I'm good, actually. I'm good. But you know who isn't well-trained? Is this you getting into your Segway mode really quickly? Yes. <laughs> We're going to launch straight in. We've got, we got a few things to get through today, but launching straight in. People who aren't well-trained. Students in schools, especially students in schools in the UK. Uh, so this is secondary school, high sc- college, which is now being referred to as high school in a lot of places. Uh, schools, primary school. Schools in general, right? Oh, okay. The collective of them. The collective of them. The head teachers union in the UK have recently reported that schools are removing analog clocks because students can't tell the time. It's not really a way to process that, isn't it? <laughs> and I'm assuming that the digital clock will be in twelve hours because they won't be able to figure out that a twenty four hour clock is what the concept behind that is. Can you imagine? When did the day get 23 hours? I think there's actually 23 hours and 58 minutes in a day, but we just round up to 24, which is why we get the... No, no, the, 59. The, yeah. 59. There's 60 minutes, remember, in an hour. No, no, no. I mean, technically, I think there's not a full 24 hours in a day. No, there isn't. Um, I think it's... I don't know the exact number, but they have to round it up. So that's where you get like, the leap Yeah, from. That no, extra I, think, day. I, think it's, I think it's just a little bit over... Because, uh, if I remember rightly, the year is not 365 days, it's 365 and something like a quarter. Yeah, so those kids will not know anything about this. <laughs> no, they'll think a leap year is just some fancy thing, you know, like daylight saving and stuff like that. Yeah, well, where does this even happen? See, the thing that puzzles me about this news story is it even made, like, BBC News, and I'm like, how? How can you it's- not tell the time? Is this the fallout from teaching four-year-olds sex education instead of how to tell the time and what a duck is and what a goose is? Don't know. Because they did that a little while ago, you remember it? How, yeah, I do. Uh, in the UK especially, they were giving sex education classes to like people under six. And when people under six are like, I want to be a ninja. No, you're not a ninja. You're stupid. You're a poopy head. I want to be a, a fireman who breathes lasers. Yeah, I, I mean, today I discovered that eight-year-old boy, the eight-year-old Japanese boy who you saw ages ago. I only just discovered him, the one who basically wants to be Bruce Lee and has a video of, you know that scene from Enter the Dragon with the nunchucks? 
Um, oh yeah, he's he, he just reenacts all of it. He has everything down, even the 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 squawk. I guess you call it <laughs> the Bruce Lee squawk. <laughs> yeah, he's brilliant. <laughs> but that's the only thing I can think of. It must have been the teachers have been taught to do something else, so they had to neglect on something else. You know. Well, it's not so I mean, much that <laughs> the neglect, like time telling, and this is one of the things. It's just falling through the cracks it just so happens to be a massive thing it is kind of that i suppose but the other problem is old style clocks analog clocks um they're not as popular now as they have been these days we've got computers we've got tablets everything like that and they've all got digital time on them what the schools what schools should do should be really obtuse and just install uh sundials everywhere yeah the problem i've got with this right with them giving up and saying, oh, yeah, it's fine. We'll just remove the clocks. I've got a big problem with this. See, that's a slippery slope to me. That then leads to the point where people can start spelling later with an eight. Yeah, have you seen that also? I mean, well, yeah, it's segueing quite hard here, but um, how there's kids of a certain age who can have full conversations through emojis only. Yes, and I don't know how you do that. To say language evolves, but I don't think... I know certain languages are symbols, but I don't think you can equate Chinese, Korean, um, and other languages around there, Japanese, into emojis. You, I know, you can't say because one exists and one's okay. Oh, my God. I've just, I've just figured it out. I've literally just figured it out. The ancient Egyptians were a lot more advanced than we realised, and they, <laughs> they, 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 they must... They must have had, like, their own version of the internet or something like that because all of those hieroglyphs, they're <sighs> not hieroglyphs. That's why they loved cats as well. Yes. Early Egyptian civilization version of cat videos. It can only be the truth. We've cracked uh, universal truth here on the Geek Show, folks. <laughs> Which, ironically, leads us on to India. Because <laughs> an Indian minister... <laughs> who was speaking at a regional workshop on public distribution systems in Agatala, right? Uh, the chief minister, Biplab Deb, told the audience that the internet was invented lakhs of years ago. Lakh meaning hundreds of thousands or something like that, right? Along with other advanced technology like satellites, not by Western countries, but by ancient Indians. <laughs> I know they say everything, well, QI does anyway. QI says everything was basically invented in India. Yeah, but, but this is just stretching that a little bit too far. Yeah, but here's the, his logic why, right? He argues that some of the events described in the uh, Mahabharata couldn't have been possible without these technologies, which in his mind is proof that they existed thousands of years ago. Now, if you're wondering what the Mahabharata is... I am. Right, the Mahabharata is one of two major Sanskrit epics of ancient India, the other being the Ramayana, right? Yeah. Both of them are basically... Do you, do you know Beowulf? <laughs> I do. Think India's version of, say, Beowulf or, you know, the Iliad uh, or things like that. You know, larger-than-life events that really, you know, they may have some grain of truth to them, but most of it is just inflated legend and folklore. Yeah, you're just making me picture Beowulf with Bollywood musical numbers now. So I'm just I'm, <laughs> Bollywood my, Beowulf. My my brain is rebelling hard there, so I'm trying to keep it on topic. 
Oh, I'm sorry. Bollywood Beowulf is just... That's for the ages, that one. I'm assuming they've got one. They've got one of like an equivalent of everything, but that's just ridiculous logic. That's like saying, oh, yeah, King Arthur. <laughs> he was the thing. He invented swords. <laughs> well, it's like on QI, they say, because a ball was kicked in a country hundreds of years before football was uh, invented. That country invented footballs, and that's Kind of not really the case, is it? No, it's not. But we do know that uh, polo was invented in like Afghanistan and northern Pakistan because, well, they didn't use a ball. Or did they use like a skull of some dead animal? No, the decapitated head of their enemies. Oh, well, I was trying to be bleak, but not too bleak. (laughs) That's just way way worse. (laughs) That that would change. And now it's the sport of kings. That would change Conan, wouldn't it? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it's a it, you know when you look at Polo these days, you're like a very different spot these days. Instead of that monologue with Arnold Schwarzenegger talking about living in the blood of his enemies and sleeping <laughs> with women, he'd be playing Polo with the heads of his enemies, and it would have been a I think a much more sedate movie, really <laughs> nicer, you know. Yes. <laughs> but it's, it's odd logic that you can get to stuff like that. Yeah, but I mean, it, it, it's just. Kind of, it's, it's internet, isn't it? Everybody has their opinion on the internet, and everybody's allowed their opinion, even if that opinion is basically, ah, uh, no, nonsense. I want Tim Berners-Lee to re- weigh in on this and just say, well, I'm the inventor of the internet. Does that mean I'm thousands of years old? <laughs> yeah. Dapper, a thousand years old as well. Uh, Dapper have been around forever. We know this. They've got, like, time machines and everything, apparently. Allegedly. Yeah, odd. Them and Boston Dynamics are going to take over the world with weird technology and robots that throw freeze blocks. Well, they might do, but we're going to stick with the internet. We'll get to robots eventually, but we're going to stick with the internet right now, right? And the internet can only lead us on to one thing. Jesus. Uh... (laughs) That's a sharp left turn, isn't it? Sure. (laughs) Sure thing. Right. Um, in Poland, there is the world's tallest statue of Jesus. It's called Christ the King, and it looms over the residence of Swibod's Inn in Poland. And it was the brainchild of a now-deceased local priest named Sylvester uh, Zawadzki. Uh, Z- yeah, Zawadzki. And it was crowdfunded with $1.45 million in donations from residents of the town and everywhere else, right? Yeah. The statue is, you know, it, it's it's quite impressive. Think of, you know, the one over, uh, uh, over oh, what was it? Which city? Over the city of Rio. Oh, yeah, yeah. Right. Think legendary of one, yeah, yeah. Yeah, the legendary one over the city of Rio. Think, think of that pic, uh, of that statue that's uh, overlooking Rio, yeah? Very yeah. similar in terms of uh, what they are. Yeah. Yeah, he's got his arms outstretched, white statue, looks quite tall. Yeah, gold crown on top of his head. Yeah. Well, the crown is the interesting bit. See, I read this article. I went, this article's just got weird. A Polish news outlet called Fact24 basically made a discovery which has caused all sorts of controversies and has led to people starting to refer to this as Jesus 2.0 because on top of Jesus's head in the crown, where you don't notice it, they've installed broadcasting equipment for an internet signal 
and apparently the location is a prime spot to maximise the signal's range. Someone is a master troll. (laughs) The reporters from Fact 24 then proceeded, and this is where it gets weird, right? That's not the weird part, even though it sounds like it. The reporters from Fact 24 then tried to contact Divine Mercy Parish that oversees the statue to ask if the space on top of Jesus' head is available for rent, which is a sentence I never thought I would say in my in my entire life. <laughs> <laughs> Not sure how to process any of this. Wow. <laughs> it's peculiar, right? For starters, there's just so much to comprehend about this story. One, somebody's put an internet receiver on Jesus' head. Yeah. Which, which makes sense. Yeah. You'll get you know, some I mean, a lot things. of people would see that. Uh, you want, like, a Wi-Fi thing so people could uh, take selfies or po- pictures of it, post it on the internet. Mm-hmm. You know, it gets people engaged with it. It's it's a sly marketing technique, but I can understand the reasoning behind it. Or maybe that, for true believers, you know, Jesus gives you internet. Or if you want to, you know, go down the absolute faith line, yes, Jesus gives you internet. Jesus has the best internet. He has no internet dropout at all. He's amazing. <laughs> It's the second part of that that really, I I really want to know, <laughs> is that space available for rent? It's, it's happened often. <laughs> I don't know. And what do they want to rent it for? I have no idea. Is it like a company which does an array of flamboyant hats I... and they want to give, <laughs> like, uh, Jesus, a hat for all seasons? I don't know. I'm just worried that there's going to be, like, neon signs involved. Yeah. <laughs> the world's an odd place and I don't quite fully comprehend it. Oh, it's just going to get odder because we're staying with religion um, and we're actually staying with Christianity, in particular Catholicism. They're always fun. Yeah. Speaking as a last one, I can say that. I'm allowed to say that. I'm not being, I'm not being any whatever. Right. See, we've just said Jesus gives you better internet. Right? Not only does Jesus give you better internet, Jesus has caused a lot of other things, according to Cardinal Ernest Siboni, an Albanian priest who was apparently imprisoned and tortured for decades for refusing to denounce his faith, right? Which is a tragedy, you know? Nobody should actually be subjected to anything like that, right? Ah, and he recalls the Portuguese Jesuit priests who went to Japan. Yeah. Yeah. Simone has apparently performed exorcisms for years after his release, and apparently he has been able to conduct exorcisms using mobile phones. Wow. (laughs) Thanks to the power of Jesus. I think thanks to the power of FaceTime, but sure. (laughs) (laughs) That changes the uh, exorcism, doesn't it? Can you imagine that? The Exorcist, the Exorcist would be a very different movie. If the it power was... of Christ compels you. Oh, crap, the internet's gone. Um... The power of Christ <laughs> and AT&T compel you. It'd be a different movie. Yes, it would. It'd be better for the, the dry cleaning bill because you won't have to put up with all that vomit going everywhere. Uh, it, gets, it gets better. Professor Giuseppe Ferrari, who helped organise a weekland course about exorcisms, he aired concern over whether a priest performing an exorcism on the phone would be able to deal with the violent physical reaction to casting it, it, out demons. Is it just like a phone call, or is it like a video phone call? It doesn't actually say which one it is, but I'm assuming that they're both 
kind of the same thing in this context. Yeah. If there is a context. You know, so at least some people in the Catholic Church are saying, we, you know, this, you know, we're a bit worried. How are you going to deal with all the violent sides of things? And, but the answer to that is, I don't need to. I'm not there. <laughs> <laughs> it's just, it's kind of lazy, isn't it? Uh, the thing is, apparently some exorcists have said it's very effective. You see, this is asking me to dig into what an exorcism is. <laughs> My- Exorcisms are incredibly complicated things. You say what reason it's for, or what is motivating it, or whether the person's really possessed. You know, it's not as simple as that. These things have a history going back thousands of years. Yeah. There's some common threads throughout, and there's some uncommon threads throughout that. But the fact that that history, I mean, a lot of the history of the Catholic Church, there's a lot of exorcisms threaded within that. Hmm. When you're talking about sort of the, in the age of the like, the witch trials, that's a lot of the background and a lot of the history of the faith. You know, witch trials, exorcisms, they go hand in hand, you know, big things. And then they say, oh, yeah, we don't need to do any of that. We could have just done it by phone. Could you imagine the witch trials done by phone? Exactly. Uh, thing is, I don't want to trivialise this, uh, you know, whatever, but it's just it's really weird. It is really weird, but here's the thing. Priests apparently pray with people over, uh, on the phone to calm them down, but if you're not there, according to uh, Professor Giuseppe Ferrari, you can't control the physical aspects. Some of these physical aspects are allegedly superhuman strength and vomiting nails and shards of glass during the ritual. There has been a rise in Italy in particular for these exorcisms by mobile phones, which leads me to wonder why are there so many people who need exorcisms in Italy? <laughs> well, they do have Berlusconi. And according to a uh, British priest, uh, Father Anthony Barrett, demand is growing, absolutely. I think it is partly due to the internet, which makes it, n- namely Satanism, so accessible Films and television programs are also a factor. There's a fascination. They're trying to suggest that somehow Satan's like like adware or something. I don't know. Like you click on an advert and somehow that makes you susceptible to being possessed. So you click on those adverts uh, from a Nigerian prince uh, to add inches to a certain thing and somehow you become possessed. I don't know. I don't know. Because of all the things on the internet that get a person possessed, I'm guessing that those would be the things. I'm worried about Wikipedia now, right? Wikipedia, you know, is the biggest kind of repository of knowledge on the internet. Yeah. Yeah? But a true Satanist doesn't worship Satan. A true Satanist doesn't really believe in Satan. They worship knowledge, which means, according to, if we extrapolate from what they're saying, Wikipedia is basically Satan. If not Satan, then basically like a Duke of Hell or something like that. Ah, I love the idea of a Duke of Hell. It also means that we now know we have absolute proof of what Satan actually looks like, and it's not a horned devil or anything like that. Satan, With a neck beard. Close. It might not be a neck beard. might be a neck or beard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It is Satan, I'm sure, absolutely certain, which is why maybe the ancient Egyptians worshipped cats so much yeah satan must be a cat well there is a movie that i watched recently but an adaptation of an edgar Allan poe movie uh book sorry i was gonna say when did poe make movies well he was very modern 
<laughs> called Sorry. there, Garth. Ice is a locked room and only I have the key. Yeah. And the cat was called Certain in that. Yep. And Edgar Allan Poe, of all the authors, probably closest to Satanism, him and uh, Lovecraft. Yep. Well, Lovecraft wasn't close to Satanism. Lovecraft had gone beyond Satanism. He'd gone oh, cosmic. Oh, yeah, yeah, he had. <laughs> <laughs> he, he'd, got, he'd gone cosmic. He was no longer bound to this plane. Yeah, he was... Oh, he, yeah, he was off on a, a trip, all right. Yeah. Next story, then. Let's yes, move on. Next story. I mean, it is enough to make you cry sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, and the logic of the universe. You think you understand things, and then the universe goes... You think you understand it? <laughs> oh, no. I've got some tricks for you, boy. Uh, well, if you do need a good cry, Utah University might have just the thing for you. Okay. Did you like my segue there? I never like any of your segues. Oh, I'm cheese. quite pleased with that one. Oh, anyway, look. Uh, Utah University have developed a thing for stressed out students, and it is called a cry closet. And it is basically a little cupboard that's just there in the middle of places where students can see you going into the cry closet. Let me just make that clear. And there are stuffed animals and stuff like that inside the closet, and you can sit in there and you can have a good cry. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Um. It was created by uh, students called uh, Nemo Miller in woodshop class, and the cry closet is... Got a black interior, and it's uh, got plushes of stuffed animals that you can hog and stuff. And it it's basically, this is how they describe it. This is how he describes it. A safe place for stressed out students, otherwise known as the cry closet. This space is meant to provide a place for students studying for finals to take a short 10-minute break. Rules of the closet, knock before entering. Only one person in the closet at a time. Yeah, right. Limit your time in the closet to no more than 10 minutes. Turn the lights and timer off before leaving. Use hashtag crycloset, U-O-F-U, if posting on social media. Ah, gee, no, ah, why, why? It's, you know, um, the baby boomer generation always complain about millennials being sort of snowflakes. Snowflakes? Snowflakes, snowflakes. (laughs) I prefer your term. Uh, I'm pronouncing it with a with a Dutch inflection. Honest, <laughs> I didn't just trip off my tongue. No, never did that. That's the cry closet. Just, stuff like this, you know, unless it's somehow suggesting that university students have it harder now. Allegedly, than they ever have. So because they have it harder, they need a cry closet. We didn't get a cry cry closet. I've been to university twice. I didn't cry. If anybody deserved the cry closet. It was when, um, in sort of the 1950s, like two, no, no, before that, as late as, say, the early 70s, when kids were beaten with rulers and belts and stuff. For... Oh, never mind the early 70s. That was still in the 80s. Was it really? I never realised it when it was late as that. Yeah. But that, that era deserved the cry closet because you were getting whacked over the knuckles with a ruler. And some of the teachers that I had when I was in school were pretty old school. Yeah, I mean... Exams are tough. I'm not going to talk down to that. But if you're going to break down and cry for 10 minutes, you know, that's... See, now that this has been broached, it's only a matter of time before somebody says, okay, you can have a 10-minute cry during the exams. No, it's just ridiculous. There's no logic to it. I mean, yes, there is logic to it. 
but it's just the most crass enabling of anything I've ever heard in my life. You know, I struggled with university, but I just got on with it because that's what you do. Yeah. If it's hard, you try harder, you revise, you do some reading up, you commit time to it. You learn to cope because at the end of the day, the world is not a nice place. And That's it's what education not gonna... does. Education is teaching you how to cope with the world. Yeah, it's not a nice place. And if you are mollycoddled throughout your education, as soon as you hit the real world, away from mummy and daddy, oh boy, there's going to be Can you imagine that? You know, you got like a, you've had your cry room at university and you got your first job, but your manager's like a really hard-ass person. Yeah. And you ask him where the cry room is. Have you got a cry room? You're just going to make it worse for yourself. No, you'll be called into HR straight away. Yeah. People will seriously question you. Now, I understand why they made the installation. Now, I'm not going to uh, I'm not going to get into that. And the thing is, there are people who have genuine issues, right, when they're at university. Well, it's, just, it's just the mainstream of it, like making it accessible to all students. It's, it's the moddy coddling of all students rather than a little time-out room for people who genuinely need it because of circumstances. Well, I, I kind of object to the fact that... It's it's created by an artist, so obviously it's an art installation that students can use and students will use. And I applaud the idea of having a separate space where students can de-stress, right? That's, that's not a bad idea at all. But placing that in the middle of an area where students are going to congregate so everyone can see who's going in and out... Yeah, it's just a platform for bullying. Yeah. As well. So Maybe, maybe not so much at university, but... The- it is opening up that opportunity. Yep. Anyway, let's leave that to one side and talk about some fun things <laughs> again. Back to the fun. Uh, bloody world. Yep. Back to the fun. Right. Now, how would you like your arm to be a touchscreen? You said two things there. I like my arm and I like my touchscreen, but there's absolutely no correlation between the two things. Well, you think, but actually there is. Researchers at Carnegie Mellon University, they have created a smartwatch prototype with a built-in projector that can turn your arm into a smartphone-sized touchscreen. You have to have massive arms, then. They're calling it the Lumi Watch, and what it does, it projects a thing onto your arm that you can then use as a touchscreen. Okay, this is just a really weird concept. Why do you need it? I know it's a weird concept. There's a picture of it. Your phone's got a touchscreen. Mm-hmm. Computers are getting touchscreens. And I don't think calling it a touchscreen, the picture that's been provided is entirely accurate. I think it's more like a, a head-up display of it something. Is, it is, but you can basically manipulate it. You can use that to basically control things on the watch itself. Is uh, it actually, you know, it's turning your skin, your skin into a touchscreen. Is it something within your skin, or is it just projecting it onto it? Basically what it's doing, the Lumi Watch, it first, it's the first smartwatch to integrate a fully functional laser projector and sensor array, which allows the screen projected onto a user's skin to be poked, tapped and swiped, just like a traditional touchscreen. And that's basically what it's doing then. So it's using sensors and stuff like that, probably some complex calculations as well to see where your finger is in space because of the laser grid and stuff like that. Lasers safe on the skin because that's a very sensitive substance. Is the human? It, is the it human won't skin. be. A, it won't be a high-powered laser. 
well, no, I'm not expecting to be like the Death Star or something. (laughs) (laughs) Which didn't have barriers. Very dangerous. Um, Yes. Yes, it was. Health and safety. (laughs) I don't understand the, uh, the reason for it, though. I think this is one of those because we can things. Ah, no, but on the list of because we can, I think having a touchscreen on your arm is pretty low down the list. You think that's pretty low down on your list? Yeah, it is, because it has no real practical applications. Oh, no. there is. I actually have something which is even further down on the list of impractical things that you don't need. But if you had the money, we'll probably buy just for the hell of it. Yeah. And it's actually the next news article. And that's a convenient truth, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Right, let me give you another picture. I want to see if you can guess what the hell this thing is. There you go. So, Rob has sent me a picture. Um, It looks like a very ornate tape, like a a cassette tape. But it's got a lot of mechanics coming in the middle of it. It's got an arm coming outside of it and like a pen at the end of that arm. So I'd guess it's a machine that signs your signature for you. Because it is in the <laughs> it's in there. Pocket friendly machine signs your name for you. I didn't really look at that, but <laughs> I was just going off the the pictorial clues. No, you're absolutely right. It is a machine that signs your name for you. It's developed by Swiss watchmaker uh Jacquet Draws and it has finally been in, unveiled. It is called Signing Machine. And it was unveiled at uh, Basel World uh, Watch Show, and it showcases the company's mechanical clockwork technology, and it replicates your signature to perfection. But here's the thing: if you want one of these, it will cost you three hundred and sixty-five thousand dollars. Oh, I was just about to say that's going to be useful because every time I sign my signature, it's different. So it'd be nice to have a little bit of uniformity. And then you said that. <laughs> Were you actually thinking of buying one? I was. <laughs> yeah. It's true, though, isn't it? Every, you sign your signature, and it's different every time. Yep. So having, like, a, a starred version of that will be very helpful, you know, especially, and for people who, like, sign headshots at, like, events, you know, the, the, the guests and they sign the name hundreds upon hundreds of times and they get sick of it and the arm hurts. That'd be great. That totally is- impersonal. Kind of a horrible move. <laughs> there is a way around that. You just basically get a stamp, right, and you carve your signature on the stamp, and then you just go, next. <laughs> so if you can do that, what's the point of this then? This, again, is a because we can thing, isn't it? What does it technically do? Does it the arm sort of move and sign out your signature? Sort of yeah. mechanically recreate your signature? Basically, it records your signature and then prints it out mechanically. So what they'll probably do is manufacture it to copy your signature. So they'll probably take a sample of your signature and use that to basically make the clockwork, which will then sign your signature. Yeah, I mean, this isn't like a Blu-ray player. Like, it it starts off really expensive and then becomes more affordable. No, this will always be... Because it's being mainstream. Who (laughs) needs this? Um, If I had to guess... who who, Who would spend, like... A third of a million, a third, yeah, a third of a million pounds on this. If you're asking me honestly, who I think would buy this, I'd say Donald Trump, Kanye West. Um, it's uh, funny, I was thinking the same thing, <laughs> <laughs> especially Kanye West. You know for a fact Kanye wants one of these. Yeah, he is a troubled individual. 
Anyway, um, we're going to stick with the theme of uh, things but that on, are being... But on that note, I'm yeah. going to get one of those stamps. That'll be good for me. <laughs> yeah. We're going to stick with the theme of uh, things that are being done because we can, but this leads us all to things that are being done because we can, but also have a uh, somewhat practical application. Well, it doesn't sound like it does when you, when I tell you what it is, but it does. A neuroscientist from Yale University called Nenad Sestan has claimed that they have basically managed to preserve the brain tissue of pigs, of decapitated pigs. They managed to preserve it and keep it alive, technically, for 36 hours. Okay. Now, it's a technique that they've developed uh, called Brain EX, or Brain X, and it restores circulation to decapitated brains using a system of pumps, heaters, and oxygen-rich artificial blood warmed to body temperature. Now, it sounds quite gross and stuff like that. He gets these heads from slaughterhouses around the area. So, the pigs are already dead, yeah? No pigs are being killed for this research. The pigs have already been killed for food. And it does sound quite disturbing, but the seemingly impractical becomes practical when you think, by doing this this way, right, they're actually learning more about how the brain works on the inside than they've ever managed to do before. Here's the question, I mean, I know pigs are very close to us genetically, but what about brain-wise? Because our brain, is we only understand what about a tenth of it, don't we? Well, we only use about a tenth of it. I mean, even understanding, it's so complicated. Oh, it's yeah. Like, it's beyond the realms of like understanding. Yeah. I mean, uh, these seven heads were hooked up to Brain X around four hours after death. Um, what I'm asking, though, is basically a pig's a pig brain's comparably uh, complicated or no. more simple? No, if you wanted to do a proper comparison, you'd have to go with something like a dolphin. And only specific yeah, I don't think types they'd be allowed dolphin. to do that. <laughs> yeah, only specific types of dolphins as well. Um, <laughs> the thing is, the technique has the potential to upset traditional conceptions of death um, and our sense of when it should be declared. But it also speaks to... Do you remember a while ago we talked about that Italian doctor who claimed he could do transplant a head from one body to another? I do now, yes. It, it kind of speaks to that as well, doesn't it? If you yeah, can keep I mean, the what, brain what alive... What I love about this, what I love about this, um, you, you look at uh, horror fiction, uh, preeminent uh, horror fiction, the likes of um, Lovecraft, of uh, Mary Shelley, of people like this, people who were talking about how science was playing God. Yeah. Like um, making a man out of dead body parts, reanimating the dead, stuff like that, stuff which was, you know, truly, truly science fiction. Now, it seems that scientists don't really care about whether they play God or not, and they just go on ahead and do what they want, on the evidence of these two people, at the very least. Basically. And I find that fascinating, frankly. It is a fascinating thing. I mean, because we can has become kind of the moral compass for a lot of scientists, hasn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's just how something has changed from, like, an affront to God to, ah, well, we can do it, so we may as well give it a bash. Yeah. Yeah, it's just it's just moving the goalposts, I think, and uh, it's interesting for sort of scientific progression. Yeah, it's um, also terrifying. Yeah, but... it's very terrifying because <laughs> you know someone's going to mess up at some point, and they're already worried about this zombie deer virus, uh, prion virus, or whatever it is 
which apparently can't make the jump to humans. It doesn't affect humans at all, unless a scientist gets their hand on it. Yeah, <laughs> and then starts crossbreeding people. I mean, they're already calling it a zombie deer virus. We had those zombie raccoons the last time I... No, was it somebody else was on? Uh, I think it was... Uh, Andrew was on with the zombie Andrew raccoons. Andrew was on with the zombie raccoons. Yeah. Uh, the zombie raccoons were fun, though. They were just walking up to people, snarling at them, then falling over backwards. Yeah. A bit like Rocket. They just saw Guinness of the Galaxy and were just fascinated with how we went. Uh, that or it's, uh, you know, our every day is Friday night. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Being out on the town a lot. <laughs> Anyway, yeah. we're going to stick with pigs, right? Because in a very odd move, I couldn't believe this, but I, just the article, right? Just just the headline made me stop and just I froze for like a minute when I read the article because my brain shut down. China bans Peppa Pig videos on social media for being associated with gangster culture. <laughs> Yeah, I can understand why your brain would do that. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm literally my brain just went, just went. Uh, <laughs> yeah, you get the defibrillator out on your brain. Yeah, I must have missed the episode of Peppa Pig when Peppa Pig did a drive-by shooting. Oh, when nah. she, when Peppa popped a cap in his ass. <laughs> I, I must uh, have missed those episodes. I mean, Peppa Pig is a subversive icon. Never really thought that. It was banned, apparently, in certain countries, wasn't it? Yeah, in Islamic countries, because it's a pig, you know. Yeah, and pigs are apparently unclean, even though little ones are adorable. Yeah. So, Peppa Pig started airing in China in 2015, but at some point last year, young adults started co-opting the innocent cartoon as a symbol of subversion and even getting tattoos of Peppa Pig and they're liking it the gangster culture because there's a gang of people who are getting together and celebrating Peppa Pig with tattoos and and stuff. Well, I think there's like I, I do you know how the triads and the yakuza are uh, you know oh they have like God, no. <laughs> tattoos of so, Buddha, and dragons, and phoenixes and stuff like that. So instead of all that, it's got Peppa Pig jumping in a puddle, or maybe a Gundam or something. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's a Gundam. Maybe it's a, maybe a Tatsuna Miku. <laughs> maybe that's that's the new dragon and phoenix. I don't yeah. know. Peppa Pig jumping in a puddle is the new Buddha. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I mean, I, I thought it was something else. I thought it was something that actually happened in the episode, and I thought subtext is a hell of a weapon, isn't it? You can really get something wrong. Yeah. But if it's from tattoos. That's just weird. That's really... Um, oh, no, uh, an SBS news report. They had a rhyme that roughly translates as get your Peppa Pig tat, shout out to your frat, which, to the Chinese authorities, <laughs> would be very close to being, like, gang culture, I suppose. I'm assuming the triads aren't as big as they used to be, but... Oh, so oh. That must be That must be a real... Oh, no, no. That, let me just process this for a minute. Right. Triads aren't as big as they used to be. They had to become a lot more legitimate businessmen. <laughs> so the people who hadn't seen triads for a long time didn't really know what to do with gang culture, however light it was. So when this bunch of children turned up, hanging around, having tattoos, you know, they must have thought, oh my God, this is what the, the triads and the accused must be like, even though it's a bunch of seven-year-olds. <laughs> 
<laughs> Possibly. You can't, you can't process it. There's no, there's no through line of logic in this story. Oh, no, there is a through line of logic. I was about to explain. And you might be more right than you thought. See, I know you just made that up, but you might actually be more right than you thought. According to the Global Times, Pepper has been fully embraced by China's uh, Shehuiren subculture. Shehuiren being a word that literally means society person, but refers to slackers and other gangsters. And I'll use that term in inverted commas because this article does. They're, you know, people who are slackers, you know, needs, uh, not in education, employment or training, stuff like that. They're apparently the gangsters that the uh, that Chinese government is talking about. People who drop out of society, or what is termed as proper society. And now that an undesirable subculture has adopted Pepper, the government wants to get rid of its corrupting influence. Oh, man. I wish it was in the night garden. That would have been really... <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I imagine what the Chinese authority would have thought of, like names like Makapaka and Ninky Nonk. It must have be like slang for drugs or something. I'm not entirely sure it's not in the TV show in England either. <laughs> you go I... behind the local shopping centre to get like an ounce of Ninky Nonk. Yep. <laughs> I mean, just... uh, <laughs> the characters from the Night Guard, seriously, like uh, like the Pontypines and the Wattages, um, the Hahus, the, uh, the Titifers. It totally sounds like drug slang. Yeah, I know. The Tiddle, the Trublyphones. Whereas Peppa Pig's just so innocent. Yeah, the Tomlaboos, Macapaca, Upsy Dizzy. I mean, Macapaca. <laughs> I'm pretty certain that's like horrible racist slang. Oh no, he, he sleeps on a stone bed, often cuddling a stone. He travels around the garden riding his trolley, the Ogpog, which carries his sponge, soap, orange trumpet, and a bellows like apparatus called Ulf Ulf which he uses to dry items after cleaning them. That's totally just a lot of drug analogies. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, one of them, the trousers can't stay up, and one, certain types of gang culture have trousers that hang around the backside. So, yeah. yeah. So, uh, I, I, I don't know what to make of this. We've made a bigger revelation, though. Yes, we have. Speaking of revelations, a while ago, a while ago, David Slater, a, a photographer, he took a picture of himself and an Indian, Indonesian macaque monkey called Ella. Since then, he's basically had to spend a lot of time in court going up against Peter, you know, the animal protection people, right? Ah, uh, bless. Yeah, the reason why is because they're fighting on behalf of the monkey, Ella, so that the monkey will own the copyright to the photo that David Slater took. Now, we have an update on that uh, on that story from 2015. <sighs> Go on. <laughs> Has the monkey won? No, it's gone to the ninth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals, right? <laughs> I, I don't know how it went there, but they have unanimously ruled against Peter and whichever monkey it is, declaring that U.S. copyright law does not expressly authorise animals to file copyright infringement suits. Basically, monkeys aren't allowed to sue people for copyright in the USA because, apparently, that is a conversation that hasn't happened yet. It's not that it hasn't happened yet. I mean, I think Peter are just insane. 
Judge Randy Smith, or N. Randy Smith, uh, where it, it is in this article, has referred to Peter's lawsuit as frivolous and noted that Peter doesn't seem to have any sort of relationship with the monkey it claims to be fighting on behalf of. You know, I'm pretty sure the lawyer that represents Peter must be Lionel Hutz from The Simpsons. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Because this lawyer must be so desperate. <laughs> and his hit rate can't be very good. You know, because it's got, like, his client suing like people for the photo rights for a monkey. It's <laughs> it, it sounds like a setup to a sitcom, doesn't it? Yeah. And not just any sitcom, it does sound like a strange episode of Faulty Towers. I, I don't even know what it sounds like. But that that that, that law case, um, court case, sorry, could be stretched out for two years. Yep. What the hell's been happening all this time? <sighs> I don't know. Uh, is, it, is that monkey still alive? I would assume so. And what did the monkey have to say about this? Ooh, 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 ooh. Did this monkey, is it, a, is it a descendant of the monkey that was in a movie that I watched for a critic called Robinson Crusoe in Space, in which the monkey was constantly editing, having shots, looking at the camera, saying, better pull up with this guy, ever. I don't know. I couldn't so, say. Did they have, like, the monkey in court and the monkey had the macaque, sorry. Did they have the macaque in court and then had a little macaque suit and he was sat there represented by... No, no, by he, she, she, Ella, it's a female monkey. Uh, so, well, the monkey, the macaque. She, women can wear suits too. So, uh, it was the macaque in a suit? You know, I wasn't even in court. I don't think they allow monkeys in court. So how could he? How could the court case be stretched on for two or three years? Because Peter have Lionel Hutz. <laughs> <laughs> Lionel Hutz is amazing. Final... I mean, any, any any lawyer worth their salt will just say this is ridiculous. I'm throwing you all out of the court in contempt or something because this is just a waste of everybody's time. Yeah, but maybe this version of Lionel Hutz was getting paid a lot of money by Peter. Maybe. Yeah. In which case, stretching out for two years, probably paid for his pool. Oh, yeah. <laughs> anyway, anyway, anyway. Final news story. And I'm going to share something with you. Um, in particular, have a look at the videos on that page. All right. This is an actual working, and we have finally headed to Japan, by the way. This is an actual working 28-foot-tall Gundam-type robot. That's a lot of feet on that thing. Yeah, it has to be huge like that to spot the weight above. Um, this was uh, created by a Japanese engineer called Masaki Nagumo, who always climbed, dreamed of climbing into his very own Gundam. And as an adult, he's basically made that dream something of a reality. And it's 28-foot-tall, 7-ton, LW Mononofu robot that was basically a project for his employer, the industrial machinery maker Sakakibara Kikai, which is uh, in Japanese Gunma Prefecture. And it is, it took six years to build. Yeah. And it's probably the world's largest anime inspired robot that you can actually ride in and control. It's very slow. It basically, like, it drags itself across the floor. <laughs> like dogs do after. <laughs> I wouldn't go there. Yeah. I mean, obviously, it doesn't walk as in a normal walk, does it? No, I mean, I don't think it's technically technically possible for this thing to move. Yeah. Even if it, like, like uh, lift its legs and walk. Yeah. Because I imagine such a thing would cost billions of pounds. Yeah. 
But I mean, the fact that they've actually made this in the first place so you can sit in and move around is impressive on its own, isn't it? Oh, yeah, entirely. Entirely. And, I mean, hell, just put that... I mean, if it doesn't matter if you move it around. Just put that in any kind of anime-themed uh, amusement park and people go crazy over it. Yeah, they would. Yeah, it's just, it's the potential of it's very interesting, I think. Mm. Uh, Sakakibara Kikai haven't disclosed how much money they invested into this robot. Which it's is probably, probably lot... more than I'd like to admit. <laughs> exactly. I was about to say it's probably more than they want to admit. There's probably some... And when they got to a certain point thinking, yeah, this is rubbish. We're not going to get it go any further. Just give it a bit of spit and polish and we'll release it. Have you seen the little red dinosaur that they've got, though? <laughs> All right, it's right at the end of the video. Oh, the little red, red dinosaur, dinosaur is amazing. It. Yeah, it's much better than the other one. Yeah, and you can ride it like it's a proper fairground ride, isn't it? It's like Diggerland, but with dinosaurs. Exactly. They should just ditch whatever manufacturing they're doing and just make these. Yeah, I mean, wouldn't have problems in the construction industry then. Everybody would want to do it. Exactly. Well done for making that. I mean, uh, they're probably looking at this and going, well, at least it's better than the Gundam. It's a starting point. No, they can say, at least it's better than the Gundam, because the Gundam just stood there. At least theirs moves. Oh, no, but you've got to have this first step. The first step is always awkward, so... They haven't had the first step. They've had the first roll. Well, yeah, the first shuffle. <laughs> yeah. But the, the first shuffle is an important shuffle. Yes, it is. And at least you can sit in this one and move it. Yeah, I mean, it could be adapted to all sorts of anime titles with mechas or robots or large characters or whatever. I'll be honest, though, after seeing that dinosaur, I, I, I'm I, just saying, screw the robot. I want the dinosaur. Yeah, let Marvel have it, and it can be Devil Dinosaur, and you can sit on there. Oh! Oh! Oh, why do you have to say that? That's marketing, eh? You know? <laughs> oh! Why did you have to say that? It's such a good idea now. <laughs> yeah, and it can have one of those sort of cutouts where you sit in it, and it makes you look like you're Moon Girl. <laughs> You can have this big photo op where you're Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur. <laughs> yes. Even if you're a fully grown man, which, let's be fair, most comic book readers are. You too could be a 10-year-old African-American girl. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> On that note, let's end the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, thank you for sticking with us. And if you enjoyed the show, give us a rating or a review on iTunes. That does help us. But uh, beyond that... Uh, head over to thegeekshow.co.uk, check out some of the other podcasts we're doing, or check out our archive over there. Or follow us on Twitter at TGS underscore The Geek Show, or Facebook on the same. Um, but until next time, thank you very much for listening to this episode of The Geek Show. I have been Rob. And I've been Rob. We'll see you later. For 
For over 28 years, Aflac has been a champion, donating over $168 million to fight pediatric cancer and blood disorders, including sickle cell disease. This December, Aflac proudly joins 97.1 Wash FM and Children's National Hospital for the annual Wash for Kids Radiothon. Mark your calendars for December 14th and 15th for a heartwarming 14-hour live broadcast where you can join Aflac in their efforts to support the miracle work happening at Children's National. Save the date, tune in, and be a part of something extraordinary with Aflac.